Uh, we have a bit of fun here at Northern, and um, one of the ways that we sometimes do that is that the op shop gets all these weird donations, and sometimes I just end up being the recipient. Of, so Trish finds a weird shirt like this. And then Tamsin and Jan dare me to wear it on Sunday, so that's so you can say I have fulfilled my responsibilities to the team in wearing this shirt today. Um, next week, we're actually going to have some more fun, because uh, next week is Father's Day. And so we're going to be looking for a few volunteers, a few dads that would be prepared to volunteer to tell a dad joke. And then we're going to video uh, you telling that dad joke on uh, in in the service on Sunday next week, and then we're going to post it onto uh, our Facebook page, and the best teller of the dad joke will win um, a a movie pass to Hoyts. Um, So there's a movie pass, a double movie pass to Hoyts that we're giving away to um, the best teller of a dad joke. So if you have a really good dad joke, we've already got some that we selected um, during the week and we had a competition with the the lunchtime crew that come along to our community lunches Monday to Thursday and so we had a a number of different dad jokes um, being submitted there and so we had a, um, a... uh, it was Joanne uh, that uh, came up with the best d- dad joke uh, in that setting. Uh, and so if there's some really good dad jokes or uh, if you're uh, interested in telling a dad joke next Sunday for the chance to win two movie tickets to Hoyt's, then uh, see Matt or I after the service. We'll probably need about three or so people, I think, is the, the sort of deal that we're looking at. Do you have a, a, a scar that tells a bit of a story? Um, something that happened for you um, at some stage in your life that tells a bit of a story about who you are and about some of the experiences that you've had. For me, I have my left shoulder which suffers from MDI, multi-directional instability. If I was to unclip the microphone and put it to my shoulder, you can actually hear it click as it clicks in its sloppy joint. Um, It came as a result of a water skiing accident many years ago. I was out on a massive whip behind the boat like a totem tennis ball being smacked by an overzealous child um, when the ski clipped the water and I started cartwheeling across the surface of the water with my friends freaking out less that they had killed me and more that they would have to face Mary to let her know that they had killed me. Some 15 years later, my shoulder is still sloppy in its joint and it clicks and it pops. So what about you? We've got a chance for two quick stories. We'll take one from this side, one from this side. Who's got a story about an injury or a scar or something that tells a little bit about some of their existence or some of their history? Someone from this side? Okay. So we've got Len. Thanks, Len. When I was trying to save my cat from having a fight across the road. I ran across, I fractured my wrist, and not only that, I put my shoulder out as well. And I've got that click you're talking about. I had physio last week, and it's still clicking. Yep. And that's a couple of years ago. Yeah. All right, and someone on this side, someone that's got a story about a click or a pop or a scar or something. Anyone? Oh, up the back. Okay, we'll take one from up the back. Thanks, Lorraine. I could tell you many in my childhood. One I remember, and I have a scar to show, um, my brother and I were fighting 
on the over the car. I now, find that so hard to believe. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, so I was outside the car, standing on the running board, trying to pull the door open, and he was inside the car laughing at me, trying to hold it closed. And then he let go of it, so I sort of fell backwards and dragged my across the running board, which had a bit of metal sticking out. So I have a hole you could poke your finger in. Just, I still love him, though. (laughs) Brothers. Family. They can be all sorts of fun, can't they? All right. A few centuries. uh, For centuries, people would tell the story of Jacob and how he got a new name of Israel and a new limp. It's a story worthy of telling again today. Jacob was at the top of his game. It was as if everything that he touched turned to gold. When he was working for his father-in-law, the more his father-in-law tried to rip off Jacob by changing the employment contract, the better Jacob did in the family business as he outsmarted his in-laws. Jacob's life was one of blessing and abundance, which Jacob acknowledged was from the hand of God in both the accumulation of assets and the protection of those assets. Jacob's success increased to the point that resentment grew towards Jacob. In Genesis chapter 31 verses 1 to 3 we read, but Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons, Jacob's brothers-in-law, were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. It's amazing the perspective and how perspective changes things, isn't it? And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude towards him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather, to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Around 20 years earlier, Jacob and his brother Esau had a massive falling out, with Esau going to the lengths of actually making death threats against Jacob. And now, with the facing the return to his homeland, Jacob did his best to suck up to Esau by sending thousands of dollars worth of gifts ahead of Jacob to intercept his estranged brother and hopefully win him over. With the gifts dispatched, Jacob then moves his mass of possessions, his wives, servants and all his children across the Jabbok River at night. As easy a river crossing, um, an easy river crossing which wound its way through a canyon. Once they were settled, Jacob makes an interesting move. He moves back across to the other side of the river. This is no military or protective move. The river or brook would afford no barrier from an approaching army, nor is he or his family really that much out of sight. It's almost as if Jacob now found himself in this in-between situation. On the one side of the river was his future, his wealth, his family, but it was still shrouded in uncertainty. The future that he cannot yet see. What sort of welcome might he receive from his brother? Over his shoulder is Jacob's past, a past where Jacob outgrew his welcome, a past that tomorrow he would leave behind. One life is finishing and another life 
an uncertain life is about to begin. However, right now, Jacob is very alone. Physical distance separates Jacob from those he loves. Sure, Jacob is by himself, but dealing with the pressures of an unpleasant situation, conflict and stress, has him feel emotionally alone as well. More than just separation or solitude, the Hebrew word for alone here hints at the the concept of abandonment, feeling separated from community, even feeling separated from Yahweh, God himself. As Skip Moen puts it, perhaps Jacob is compelled to cross because there is something unfinished in that place, something non-tangible that cries out to be carried across um, and be buried on on this side. Whatever it is, he must return to face the emptiness in his life. It has all come down to this. In the end, he is alone. All his possessions, all his relationships evaporate in the dark. It is night, the night when there is nothing left but the former Jacob, the night when it has all moved on except. And so in that night, in that place, Jacob wrestles. It's an accumulation of all that has been before is his downfall. It's the manoeuvring, his calculations, his self-reliance, his ability to turn mistakes into advantage. But what is left when all is stripped away? The question is posed, who are you, Jacob? Then out of the darkness comes a man whom crash tackles Jacob to the ground, twists and turns, pinning and uh, reeling free. Arms and legs are going in every direction until both are back on their feet. Rather than running away or calling time out, Jacob is up for the fight. Rather than pushing away, wrestling is an intimate fight. You are up close and personal. I guess that's why there are apparently more injuries sustained in wrestling than there are actually in boxing. In wrestling, you get to know your opponent well. And so, for the next few hours, Jacob and the man are are in the wrestle of their lives with neither giving in until the emerging silhouette of the encompassing canyons alert to the pending dawn. The visitor goes to break the deadlock by unlocking Jacob's hip from its joint with an extraordinary touch of his hand. Now, Jacob moves from wrestling to hanging on to the man with all his life. Let me go, the man says, wanting to tap out. However, Jacob is not prepared to let go so easily. Dislocations and sprains are common in wrestling, but this was no ordinary wrestling injury. And Jacob realises that he was actually wrestling with someone better, stronger, His wrestling partner was in every way Jacob's superior. After all, you never ask a blessing from someone who is inferior. Names identify, don't they? But names also brought definition. Some names you can be proud of, but supplanter or deceiver is not one that people really run out to get a badge put on their chest, is it? 
What's your name? The man asked. And Jacob, still clutching tight, identifies him as Jacob. His birthright was gained by deception. And both his father and his grandfather were recorded in the stories told about their own bouts of deception. What greater blessing could Jacob receive than that of a conversion? To have his name converted from one that identifies himself as a deceiver to that of Israel, a God fighter, someone who wrestles with God and survives, someone who wrestles with man and thrives. Without identification, the man slips away before the shadows fall on the ground and Israel knows that he has met more than his match that night. He wrestled with God and survived, receiving a fresh start, a blessing above all blessings and a limp to remind him and the nation that would be named after him that God is still God. Some 16 centuries later, a descendant of Israel, John, found himself in a wrestle with Yahweh God. In our reading from Matthew 11, is an account of the Jesus story. And it describes how John was wrestling with Jesus' Messiahship, stuck in prison with Herodias, Herod's lover, plotting and scheming for John's execution. John sends a message to Jesus, asking the question, are you really the Messiah? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, on the surface, we could be forgiven for thinking that this was just a general question about whether Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour. However, if we leave it at that, we fail to see things from the perspective of the wrestle with God that was going on behind that cell wall. A wrestle that was challenging John's earliest experience In Luke's opening account of the Jesus story, it tells of John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, when both John and Jesus were in separate uteruses. John had been cooking in Elizabeth's womb for about six months, and Jesus was inside Mary's womb and was probably smaller than a grain of rice. But even then, in utero, And inspired by the Holy Spirit, John started to kick up a dance because the Messiah was just there in the womb next door. Some 30 years later, John points out Jesus as the Messiah, baptizing Jesus and some of John's disciples uh, become Jesus' disciples as a result. John declares that his job of, of preparing for and pointing out the Messiah, pointing out Jesus as the Christ, was being completed. That Jesus, God's son, was now the focus. Why is John doubting? Why is he wrestling with the thought of Jesus being the saviour? Because John found himself in desperate of saving. Saving from pending death. Jesus was not coming to John's rescue. In Matthew 11 verse 6, Jesus as saviour sends a message back to John. A message of blessing. A message to keep wrestling, but also a message to John, I'm not coming to rescue you from jail. Not long after that, 
John literally lost his head and it was served to Herodias on a platter. A decade later, another Israelite, Paul, found himself wrestling with God. Three times we read in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 to 8, Paul asked for freedom from his thorn and we don't really know what Paul was. However, God responds with grace, with blessing, with a desire to have his power manifest in Paul's struggle, in Paul's stamina, in the wrestle. For us today, we may face a time when we feel so alone. We may experience a time when we feel abandoned by community, by family. We may feel abandoned by our successes and our excess. We may find ourselves like Jacob on the other side of the river, caught between, and with us looking deep within ourselves, our identity, our character. We may have been defined by words or names and we find ourselves unable to shake them free. We may find ourselves facing death. We may find ourselves in the cell. But rather than being abandoned by the Saviour, it is in those times that God wants to wrestle. Have you ever noticed in that story that it's God who initiates the wrestle, not Jacob? And that is so comforting to me. It tells me that not only is God up for a good wrestle, but he actually encourages, it keeps you close. It's an intimate to wrestle with God. When faced with uncertainty, challenges to identity, words or names from the past that keep pinning us down, when the thorns in our side have us cry out, when faced with such time, it is easier to walk away from God without a fight or just go limp and give in to God. But when we consider God's story and our story, I believe God wants it will require stamina and determination to hold on tight. But I believe there is a blessing we receive when we wrestle with all our might, when we wrestle. After several years of trying to have kids, Mary and I um, had a successful pregnancy. But we went, when we went for the second scan, the look on the radiographer's face said it all. The flashing beat of the heart. In the weeks and months that followed, I wrestled. Years of hope, countless prayers in such pain. My wrestle with God was, and God was up for the wrestle. Doubts and questions in my heart had me hold on tight. The cry of what echoed long. Others, well-meaning, would say, it happened once, it can happen again. Christian rhetorics would say, think of Abraham and God. And all the while, the response was, I love you. At the end of the season of wrestle, God never once ended. But I knew that God loves me. And even when God doesn't end of why, I still, for Yahweh God, maybe there's a little going limp and giving up or walking away, just God's story, our story, is a story of wrestling. Even God initiated wrestling. Are you up? Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you know what it's like to wrestle, that in that garden before you were crucified, you wrestled and you wrestled hard. Thank you that you long for us Thank you that you invite us. You actually even initiate 
the wrestle. Help us to, to all that you all that you mean and all that you promise. So how do we respond today? Well, there's going to be some questions on the slide. God's story, our story. Have you walked away or given up on a wrestle with God? Perhaps today God is inviting you to engage again. And the other question is, what does God want to wrestle with? Take some time, there's going to be some music played. In those response cards, I'd encourage you to to take them out, to write a prayer of response to God about whatever God might be saying to you today. And during the singing of the final song, we'll have an opportunity where those cards can be collected if you'd like to pass those in. But let's now do some business. God bless you.